Welcome to episode 65 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with Sycomer Trust partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to sycomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. On today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Dr. Carrie Rogers. Dr. Rogers currently serves as the Chief Program Officer at PsychArmor and is a Clinical Professor of Psychiatry at the University of California San Diego School of Medicine. Prior to joining the team, she was the Associate Director of the Education and Dissemination Unit at the VA Center of Excellence for Stress and Mental Health in San Diego, California. She received her PhD in Clinical Psychology in 2000 from the University of Oregon and completed her internship and postdoctoral training at UCSD and the San Diego VA. A licensed clinical psychologist in the state of California, Dr. Rogers is also board certified in clinical psychology by the American Board of Professional Psychology. You can find out more about Dr. Rogers by checking out her bio on our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. You're currently the Chief Program Officer at PsychArmor, which we can talk about that role in a minute, but you've been a clinical mental health professional serving the military-affiliated population for a number of years. I'm interested in hearing what brought you to clinical work and to working with veterans and military families specifically. So my path to clinical work was actually not particularly straight. I started an interest in psychology in college, probably, and I was fascinated with the process of research. And that was initially what I really wanted to do and, and did pursue that and still am a researcher in addition to my interest in actually providing clinical care. But I really got interested in investigating where we get hung up sometimes in our mental health and how to help people move through those stuck places where they sometimes are not feeling well. And then got really curious about why some some ways of helping work better than others. And how do we know that? How do we know when something's working really well? How do we measure that? How do we make sure that we're providing quality solutions to people who are struggling, who in the time of struggle don't need to be trying to figure out what works and what doesn't and what's snake oil and what's helpful. So I was fascinated with all of those questions but I initially entered psychology because I was interested in the process of hypothesis testing. What's the question and how do you get to the answer? And then I think through that became super interested in the idea of how that applies to helping people. I initially, in my graduate school career, worked a lot with children. And I worked a lot with children who were struggling with what we call externalizing behaviors, right? So they're acting out. They're being removed from the home and taken into foster care. And then I moved to San Diego, where I currently live, and did some of my final training at a VA site at the San Diego VA and just fell in love with the population that I was working with. And 
Some of them were young. They were younger veterans, but certainly not early adolescents, which is where I had started my training at, but really just so enjoyed working with veterans and their families. It just changed my career, shifted my career around. So that is how I came to that. My father served. He was in the army and my brother served for a number of years. He was also in the army. They both served in the army, but I wasn't raised. My father served before I was born and my brother served after I went to college. So I I didn't live in a house that I consider myself a military kid. I didn't do the moves. I didn't have an active duty service member living in the home as I was growing up. But certainly that service has always been something I've seen and has been part of the family culture. But I really came into working with veterans and their families through my training at the VA. Now, that's something that I think a lot of people aren't aware of, is that the Department of Veterans Affairs is one of the premier training grounds for psychology professionals, uh, psychologists specifically, but also master's level clinicians, that that is where a lot of mental health professionals get their start in the VA system. That's true. And it's true for physicians as well, actually. It's a huge training site for physicians, psychologists, social workers, depending on what state you're in. There are different training opportunities for different health professionals, but occupational therapy, physical therapy, all of those occupations, one of the major places where people get trained is at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And so the, it's very interesting to me because I think what we see in the community of healthcare providers is that they're not always screening for veteran status. They're not always checking to make sure that they're identifying the patients that they have who have served or who are connected to somebody who's served. And yet many, many of them actually trained in facilities run by the Department of Veterans Affairs. Yeah, I think that, and obviously the different parts of the VA, but the Veterans Health Administration, it, it is the largest health network with a very specific population and also a very identified population, but also a population that has a number of whatever we want to call them, challenges, problems, or things like, but these unique, especially if someone is interested in what works for trauma, uh, service mm-hmm. members and, and veterans are, are exposed to trauma. And that's a, a really good opportunity for mental health professionals to understand understand what works, what doesn't work with some of these really specific problems with a unique population. Yeah, that is absolutely true. So there are a few things about that that are really interesting. Some of what we see when we're working with specific populations, veterans, as we're talking about here, are experiences, specific experiences, and maybe specific challenges that are more prevalent because of their affiliation with the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard. Some of what is also important about that is culture. And we talk at PsychArmor a lot about military culture and how does the culture that somebody works in and lives in impact the way that they maneuver through the world, how they get stuck sometimes, something happens and then they don't get better. And so I think that's a really also important piece of the puzzle when working with any subpopulation, but certainly veterans. Indeed, there are is perhaps a higher prevalence of um, certain kinds of trauma exposure, but there's also a culture in which people function that makes it harder or easier to recover from some of those experiences. And having a provider who understands that can make life a little bit easier. 
And that's especially critical, as we both know, but I, I think for listeners, that's especially critical for mental health providers because it's all wrapped into the brain, the mind, and stuff like that. If it's physical health, it doesn't matter whether I blew my knee out playing basketball or jumping out of a helicopter. A, a blown knee is a blown knee. And obviously, there are some unique differences there, but that cultural understanding piece is especially important for mental health providers because it's all wrapped into everything. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And much of what we do to serve that population as people who work with mental health challenges is we spend a lot of time talking to people. We spend a lot of time framing their experiences and helping them navigate the world in a different way. And that's a little different than putting somebody on crutches, right? We have to frame that a little bit differently. We want to talk about that a little bit differently. We may need to have more understanding of some context to treat some of the things that we look at when we're working with somebody with mental health concerns. Having said that, I think that for any provider, knowing that the person that you're working with, who's your patient or client who served, is going to give you a leg up with rapport building, which is really important in any kind of profession, especially a medical profession, but also knowing what to look for. Is the person sitting in front of you somebody who served in the infantry? Maybe that has something to do with the way their knee blew out. And you might want to ask some of those questions. They may also be eligible for services that some of your other patients might not be eligible for, and you might be able to assist with that. So there's a lot of reasons, I think, to be mindful of the population that you're serving, especially someone who's served in our military. You know, I think that's absolutely correct. I recall when I was retiring, I had an orthopedist where I was getting some surgery done on my hand. And basically they were saying that I had the, the nerve conductivity of a 90 year old and I was in my forties. They were <laughs> like, this was, this was the military did this. And so I, yeah, there are those pieces. I mean, I think that's critically important, but in addition to your clinical work and your research work, you've also been focused on training and education first with clinicians and now with psych armor. Why do you think education is a critical part of supporting service members, veterans and their families? and those that, that want to help them? I think it's really connected to what we were just talking about, Dwayne, which is the way that we help, the way that we support should be informed by what we know about a population of people. And so knowing something about military culture, knowing something about the questions that you might want to ask somebody, questions that you might not want to ask somebody, ways of talking about things, it's really critical. And I spent years working at the VA and really enjoyed my time there. Loved my service in that department. But I know that not all veterans seek care there. And in fact, the community of people who are connected to somebody who's worn the nation's uniform are in communities everywhere. They're your neighbor, they're your coworker. Veterans are an integral part of every community in the country. And so educating more broadly those of us who haven't served, those of us who haven't worn the uniform, educating that group of people about what military service members and veterans have experienced, how they've functioned, what their lives have looked like during their service can be really valuable in creating meaningful connections and conversations. And that's what I'm really excited about, not just with mental health providers or even medical providers more generally, we know that rapport, we know that conversations, comfort is super important in those relationships. If I'm working with somebody who's struggling with a mental health challenge, I need to know who they are. I need to know how to talk to them. I need to gain some trust. That's true for physical health providers. But I also think that we all as neighbors, as coworkers, as friends, 
want to be paying attention to wherever we're at. And so encountering somebody who's served, I'm going to be mindful of the things that I've learned over time about ways that they may see the world that are different. So I may engage with them a little bit differently. I think that's really important. No, I appreciate that distinction. I, I think that, and again, like you were saying, talking about medical professionals, someone can be technically skilled in, and you were referring to something that is, is evidence-based and really that we know works with trauma, for example, but not really culturally proficient and not do yes. what's best, I, I think, or, or able to support that what's best, or even a community provider, for example, that's supporting homeless veterans, right? If they know or, or if they're connecting with veterans, they have different resources that they may be able to tap into, but if they're not able to build that trust, or even as you said earlier, even asking whether or not the individual served, then you could be as technically skilled in what you do all day long, but you're still missing the mark if you're not culturally proficient. Absolutely. And it's interesting, as you were speaking, I was thinking about working with community providers. When I was a VA clinician, part of what I did was train community providers about military culture and how to do some specific interventions with military veterans. And one of the things that I encountered was the opposite of that, which we don't talk about a lot, but I would talk to clinicians in the community who would say, well, I didn't serve, so I could not possibly work with veterans. I don't understand them. I just need to refer that, that person out of my practice. And it astonished me because that's just not true. What you want to learn how to do is have a conversation with somebody who maybe has a different experience than you do. Learn a little bit about where they're coming from, what their lens is in the world, and then ask some good questions. Be ready to listen be open to sharing experiences. And so we don't want to err too much on the other side, which is if I'm not like you, I can't be helpful or I have to know everything there is to know about where you come from and who you are before I can engage in any kind of meaningful connection with you. We want to find that sweet spot where we begin to see that people have different experiences and we will never understand everything about another person's experience. But how do we know enough to ask some good questions, to be sympathetic, to engage in meaningful discourse. No, and I think that is critically important, uh, again, as we're talking about community providers, but also just anybody providing support. If you're not in a military community and you're providing support to the homeless population, for example, if you say we're not the place for homeless veterans, we'll guarantee you, if you're not asking the question, there are going to be veterans in that group. Now, speaking of training and education, you and some of the team at PsychArmor recently obtained a certification in the Kirkpatrick model for analyzing and evaluating the results of training and educational programs. Now, this is an important step. We can provide as many training opportunities as possible, but unless we're able to determine the effectiveness of those opportunities, we're just releasing balloons into the sky, right? And why right. do you think this certification is important and how do you see it being applied to PsychArmor? We do, as you said, at PsychArmor, we do a ton of training. We do education, we're all about providing people with information that can help them better engage with other people, whether it's coworkers or neighbors or patients, whoever it is, um, specifically with military-connected community. But you're right. We can do all sorts of trainings. And if people come to them, but they don't like them, or they don't learn from them, or they don't change the way that they engage in the world, then we have no impact. And so it's really important to us as an organization that we are paying a lot of attention to whether or not what we're doing is well-received, whether people learn from it, 
get new information, acquire new skills, feel more confident about those skills, but also do they actually take that and apply it in their life in some meaningful way? So are we changing the conversations that people are having with the service member, veteran, connected family member, whoever that they're interacting with? Because ultimately, if you know a lot about military service, but it doesn't change the way you engage with people, I'm not sure what the value is of that. So at Psych Armor, we really want to make sure that we're not just increasing people's scores on a questionnaire about the branches of service and what the rank structure in those branches. We want to make sure that the education that we're providing and the training that we're providing changes the conversations that people are having. Now, we've talked in, in the veteran serving community for a long time about the military-civilian divide. And we used to talk about that a lot at Psych Armor and social isolation, which we spend a lot of time talking about now. It's not helpful if people learn a lot and don't use what they learn. So we are working very hard to make sure that we are having impact on people's behavior and that that change in behavior actually results in better quality of life for the veteran community and the military connected community. So the Kirkpatrick training evaluation model allows us to pay attention to the impact that we have in a really structured way so that we can report how we're doing. And where we're missing the mark, we can go back and change things. If you're not checking to see how you're doing, you can't get better. And so that's a huge part of what we're doing. We're, we're using the results that we're getting from our evaluations to change things, to make them better. And we're doing that. It's an iterative process. We're doing that all the time. And we really like this model. It's been around for a long time. It's speaks really well to the kinds of training and education efforts that we have. And it evaluates impact across different levels. It's easy to have people take a post-test and did they learn something? But, but this model really allows us to follow up and say, how did you use what you learned? And what was the impact of that changed experience? So we're super excited. We've gone through the first level of training now. And our goal for the year is to continue on and finish out the certification and, and continue to work with this model and help other organizations to partner with us to do the same thing. I'm hearing a theme, first starting out in research and then practical application of that research and then sharing the results of that practical application with others and then doing research again. And that's really where it, it, it sounds like for you specifically, but I think that's how an organization, as you mentioned, learns and grows. Absolutely. I think that we all at PsychArmor feel really strongly that we want to make sure that we are doing the work that we think we're doing. And I've certainly, I think everybody's come across treatments or organizations or efforts that seem like a really good idea. But then when you follow up later, don't really have the kind of impact that people had hoped for. And so our goal is to be doing that kind of evaluation regularly and making sure that where we're not having impact, we change things so that we can start to have impact and where we are having impact, we learn where that is and we build on it. It's our goal to make sure that our efforts are not wasted and that we're really creating the change that we want to see. And I think it's a responsibility. I think when you, we're a not-for-profit organization, we get grants, we have philanthropic giving and we need to steward that money well. And if we're not making sure that what we're doing is effective, that it has some good reach and that it's changing the way that people engage in the world, 
then we probably shouldn't be around. That's hopefully that's not the case because I think that many organizations know and understand the value of psych armor. So great to hear that we're working to continue that. Well, and we've been collecting data for a couple of years now, and actually it looks Great. We do know that there are places that we want to continue to grow. We are hearing from our learners, from the people that we train, that things are changing, that the way that they engage with people changes after they do the education and training. And it's our goal to really continue to stretch and make differences. But we're very committed to making sure that we continue to support this community. And if you're not evaluating what you're doing, you're really not making sure that you're helping. As we always said in the Army, the doer does what the checker checks. And if you're not checking on what the doer does, then how effective can you really be? Carrie, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at PsychArmor.org. I'm always glad to share the stories and insights from the team at PsychArmor. I think it adds depth and context to those of you who are listening that are also taking the courses on the PsychArmor platform. The first point that I'd like to make is something that Carrie referenced at the beginning and even ties into her own story about how not all veterans seek care through the VA and how she grew up in a veteran household, but not a military household. A subtle distinction, but an important one. Veterans are everywhere, and many of them don't express it or show it. Many are hiding in plain sight. That group of older gentlemen hanging out in the corner at the local fast food restaurant? A few of them have walked the streets of Saigon or wove in and out of the trees of a rubber tree plantation. One of them might have served with the 10th Special Forces Group in Bad Tolz, Germany during the Cold War. Another might have been a submariner aboard the Ohio on its maiden voyage. It would be easy to dismiss them as the group of old guys in the corner, but it would also be a mistake. The guy handing out towels at your local gym, he's been on the highway of death during the Gulf War. The nice lady behind the checkout counter, she was a drill instructor in the Marines, although you might not believe it. I once had the privilege of meeting a veteran who had served as a military policeman with the 82nd Airborne Division in Panama and deployed to the Persian Gulf in the first Gulf War. After his discharge, he then served in a different way. 22 years in Folsom Prison for things that happened after he got out of the Army in the early 90s. Did what happened later diminish what happened before? Not necessarily. As Kerry said, some of these veterans may be getting care at the VA, but likely a large number of them are not. And then the medical and mental health providers supporting them in the community, whether they were trained in the VA or not, need to ask the right questions to be able to identify them as veterans and understand military culture in order to help them in the best possible way. And that's the goal of PsychArmor to support those who are supporting those who served so that when a veteran identifies themselves, they get the support they need. This leads me to my second point, our conversation about technical proficiency and cultural proficiency. In the Army, we had these two phrases that described how good we were at our job, technical and tactical proficiency. Technical proficiency is knowing how to do the job we were assigned. Do we have the relevant skills, knowledge, and abilities required? Tactical proficiency is how well we did that job how well we applied the skills, knowledge, and abilities we had. Technical proficiency is useless without tactical proficiency, and tactical proficiency is ineffective without technical proficiency. We needed both to get the job done, both the what and the how part of our job. So I can tell you're probably thinking, where are you going with this? It's not like we're taking a hill or securing a beach. 
but consider a provider or community support person who knows how to do their job really well. As I mentioned in our conversation, let's take the example of a homelessness service provider. They're really good at their job. They know all of the resources available in the community. They have good collaboration with everyone they need to get the support for someone who is unhoused. If that person is not familiar with or uncomfortable around veterans, however, they are technically proficient in their job, but that technical proficiency doesn't apply to this particular population. Of course, we're not talking about tactical proficiency in a non-military setting, but we can substitute cultural proficiency or cultural responsivity instead. As Carrie mentioned in the conversation, however, there is a need for those who have technical proficiency to understand that they can develop cultural proficiency. They have the skills, they just have to be able to apply those skills to those who served. There might be an assumption on the part of those who haven't served that they could not or should not support veterans because the provider hasn't served. Some don't feel as though they have the right to work with those who were in the military because they weren't in the military themselves. Not because there's some anxiety or trepidation around what veterans may be like or some personal aversion to working with them, but because a professional with a non-military background feels like they can't help them or that they don't want to say the wrong thing or offend them. I had a colleague who was a former Marine, and he told me a story about how he had started to see a new therapist. And his new therapist told him, I never served in the military, so I'm not sure I know how to help you. He told me that he told her, I'm not coming to you as a veteran to talk about my veteran stuff. I'm coming to you as a human to talk about my human stuff. So yes, we need to have cultural proficiency when working with veterans, but just because someone is not familiar with the unique culture and experiences of those who served doesn't mean that they can't care for them. If you find yourself interacting with veterans regularly, or you start asking the question about military service and find that you have more veterans around you than you might think, then it just takes a bit of time to take some training and do some research. And it just so happens that I know of a place where you can get some of that training right here at psycharmor.org. So I appreciate Dr. Rogers coming on the show this week. If you appreciated it as much as I did, we'd like to hear about it. You can leave a review on the podcast player that you're listening to this on if it allows you to do that. You can drop us an email at info at psychrummer.org, or you can reach out over social media. All of those are linked in our show notes, of course, but reach out to us and let us know what you think and what suggestions you might have about future guests. For this week's Psychrummer Resource of the Week, we'd like to share the Psychrummer course, 15 Things Veterans Want You to Know for Healthcare Providers. As much of my conversation with Dr. Rogers focused on medical and mental health providers, this course was created to educate healthcare professionals who care for our military veterans. Psychomer asks hundreds of veterans what they wanted civilians, employers, educators, healthcare providers, and therapists to know about them, and we share the results of those conversations with you in this course. You can find a link to the course in our show notes. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in your podcast player of choice, as well as at psychomer.org forward slash podcast. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, 
We would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.